23. And he put everything under his feet and appointed him as head over everything for the church, which is the body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. Good morning, church. It's good to see each and every one of you here this morning. Be turning your Bibles, if you will, to the book of Acts chapter 2. And we'll meet there in just a few minutes. Acts chapter 2. I hope that you've had all had an opportunity to pick up a bulletin. Uh, as always, I try to mention something about the bulletin and all the many things that we have going on here. But over the next few weeks, there are going to be a, a lot of lot of activities. And I, don't, I just want you to make sure that you have this information. It is emailed out, but also it's uh, out in the foyers and there's a ton of information of things that are going on. I want to mention a few of those. Uh, particularly, I want to talk to our men for a few minutes. Coming up on April the 29th, just from 8 a.m. to 12, just a few hours on a Saturday morning, and then you'll have all the rest of the afternoon. We're going to come together and we're going to do uh, have a work day here at the building. We have a beautiful, beautiful building, a beautiful location, but we want to keep it that way. So there's some things that need to be done. And so Greg and some of the other men have, and Lee and others have gotten together and um, decided to have a work day on this day. And so we want you to come and be a part of that and help us out uh, on that day. Uh, don't forget, this today, this afternoon, and this evening uh, is our small group Sunday. Uh, this will be the last small group uh, meeting that we'll have this year. Uh, the reason is, if you look uh, in the announcements uh, in the upcoming events, there are a ton of things coming up in the month of May. First Sunday, we have Senior Sunday, so we want to focus on our seniors. And then we have Mother's Day, and then we have our church picnic on the 21st. So a lot of things going on over the next few weeks. So uh, if, if you haven't been a part of a small group, please make sure and do that today and, and plug into one of those groups, and we'll pick that back up in September. Today, uh, this afternoon, we'll be studying uh, the word redemption. Um, also, there's a lot of sign-up lists uh, in the lobby. Uh, for a lot of activities. Uh, ladies Bunko is coming up this week. Uh, a day trip will be coming up in, in a few more weeks. So uh, please make sure you check out those lists uh, there in the lobby as well. So a lot of things going on. Uh, please pay attention to all of those. This morning we want to be thinking about the church. As we think about the church, we want to think about some of the differences of the church. On August the 28th, 1963, Martin Luther, Luther King stood in front of thousands of people there in Washington, D.C. And he delivered that famous speech that has come to be known as the I Have a Dream speech. You see, Martin Luther King, as well as others, had a dream for racial equality uh, in our nation. And as a result of his efforts and the efforts of others, things are much different today than they were some 54 years ago. Have you ever had a dream of this magnitude? Have you ever had that kind of dream? Now, I'm not, kind, I'm not talking about the kind of dream that you had last night while you were asleep. I'm not, kind, I'm not talking about the kind of dream that, that you had of being the greatest or great at something. I'm talking about a dream where, where you thought about it, you worked for it, you planned for it. 
Have you ever had a dream about the church? Have you ever had a dream uh, of what the church can be and what the church can accomplish? You see, I hope that you have a dream and I have a dream that this church with our unity together, with a dream, and most importantly with God working through us, can accomplish great things here in Savannah, Tennessee. You know, in the Bible, God didn't necessarily have a dream. But he had an idea, he had a plan for the church. He had an idea, he had a plan for the church to accomplish certain things. He had a plan and he had an idea for the church to be certain things. He had a plan and an idea for the church to be different from any other establishments that had already been created in history, even in what we read in our Old Testament history. God had an idea. God had a plan for the church. The word church appears in the New Testament approximately 114 times. In its secular use, the word church seemed to mean an assembly. And it really didn't have any kind of religious connotation to it. In fact, in Acts chapter 19, in response to a riot, Luke uses the Greek word ekklesia to describe this assembly of these people gathering in Acts chapter 19. In this riot, they just assembled together. That was what the word meant. Meant it just mean an assembly, and it could be an assembly for any purpose and of any kind. And Luke used this Greek word ecclesia. You know, in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, the concept of God's people assembling together uh, it was present. In fact, in what's called the Septuagint, that's the, um, uh, that's the Greek translation of the Old Testament Hebrew. In that translation, the Greek word to describe this Old Testament Hebrew word or uh, idea of God's people assembling to de- together was the word ecclesia, church. One person said this, about the word church. Our Lord chose a word that would designate the people who would be God's unique people through His salvation. He selected the word church, Matthew 16 and verse 18, which probably meant an assembly in its Old Testament connotation. Our Lord took a secular word and gave it a special religious meaning. In his selection of the word, he drew from its secular and religious backgrounds and added new meanings of his own. The word in the use Jesus gave it refers to the universal people of God who have been redeemed by his blood, whether they are assembled or not. Another idea that comes from uh, the Greek word ekklesia in the New Testament is that of being called out or set apart. For example, Paul uses it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 12. Notice it. 
that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into His own kingdom and glory. Peter would use it this way in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. He's speaking about the church. A holy nation, His own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. And so the idea of the church is the idea of this assembly together, but it's also the idea of of God's people being called out for a special purpose, to be a, a special people. In other words, to be different from the world. And so with this thing, these things in mind, I want us to notice a, a few things, three things uh, of how the church is different. First of all, notice that the Bible teaches us in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and others, Paul calls the church the body. You see, the church, it's different from any other body because it's a spiritual body. It's referred to as the spiritual body of Christ. Many times when one thinks about the term church, what comes to your mind? Generally across the board, we think of the church building, do we not? Most people in our community, in our world, when we talk about the church, because we say, hey, we're going to church, right? Several years ago, Acapella Vocal Band had a, had a, a song <clears throat> um, called You Can't Go to Church Because the Church is You. I love the meaning of that. The idea behind that song because it's true. But so often we get in the habit of, uh, well, let's go to church. But we are the church, whether we're assembled here together or whether we're out in our homes or out in the community, we are a part of that spiritual body of Christ. And we looked at that last week from 1 Corinthians 12. So in the New Testament, the word church is describing those people who have submitted their life to Jesus Christ, who have been redeemed by the blood of Christ, and who assemble together for the purpose of worship and living out the purpose of the church that God gives in Scripture on a local manner and a universal manner. And we'll mention that in a minute. But three ways I want you to notice that this word is used. First, just assembly. It's the assembling of together. Now, notice 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 18. For first of all, when you come together as a church, the coming together, so our coming together, our assembling together for the purposes of worshiping God gives us the idea of being the church. Another term that's used is the assembled together of the church in a specific location. For example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 2, Paul says, I'm writing to the church at Corinth. He's speaking specifically about the church that meets at Corinth. And there will be other places in the New Testament. The church that meets at Ephesus. And Paul referred to those churches that met in those specific places. In fact, that's why we're called Savannah Church of Christ. Because we're the church that meets in Savannah. It's also referred to as the assembled body of Christ, universal. Uh, Have you ever thought... 
You ever thought about here we are gathered together at this time in this place. And yet all across our nation at similar times because of different time zones or all across the world at similar times because of different time zones the church meets for the purpose of assembling together and worshiping God. So as a part of the body of Christ, the spiritual body of Christ, yes, I am a part of this assembled group that meets here in Savannah, but also the assembled group that meets across our nation and across the globe. We are a part of the spiritual body of Christ. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 23, and we'll look at this a couple of times, for, as, uh, for the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and He is the Savior of the body. The church universal He's speaking about. Now go in your Bibles to the book of Acts chapter uh, 2. Acts chapter 2, and I want us to notice... I want us to apply this idea of this assembled body of people uh, meeting in a central location um, and also in a universal uh, sense. In Acts chapter 2, we see in verse 5, this church, uh, these people, they were dwelling in Jerusalem. And then these people, after hearing the message of Peter, after being pricked in their hearts, after responding by saying, what must we do? They respond to Peter's instructions by repenting and being buried with Jesus Christ in baptism. And the Bible says they were added to the church. I want you to notice verses 41 through 45. Then those who gladly received His word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all as anyone had need. So one might say the progression was this. That these redeemed ones in Jerusalem, when the church began, they gathered together to worship God as the church, as the assembled body of Christ. They could also then be referred to because they met in Jerusalem as the church in Jerusalem. But also, even though you and I are not a member of that church in Jerusalem, or through the blood of Jesus Christ, our faith and obedience to Him are added to the church universal. Someone has said it this way, that God's resting place, earthly resting place or earthly dwelling place is in that of the church. Remember... Uh, remember those paintings? You'd go on vacation and, and there's these paintings on this board and, and, and there's a, a figure of a bodybuilder or, or, or a clown or some other, other figure, but yet the head is cut out. 
And you'll go and you'll put your head in there and take your picture and everybody will laugh and, and, and think it's funny. And they laugh. Why? Because the head doesn't match the body, right? If we could picture Christ as the head of our local body of believers, would the world laugh as misfits? Or would they stand in awe at a human body that connects with, that follows and matches the head Jesus Christ? You see, we as the church, what makes us different, what makes us different than other assemblies like we've mentioned before, the atheist assemblies and others that meet together, what makes the church different is that we are the spiritual body of Christ. Another thing that makes us different is that we are a living organism. Some may think or act like the church is is just another organization. It's like a club. It's viewed as something that is joined or pledged to nothing more and nothing less. But you see in scripture that's not the picture of the church. Eddie Clower, in his book, What is the Church?, said this about the body of Christ. As a body of redeemed people, the church is a living organism, not a human organization. The church which Christ established is living and vibrant with God's life and blessings. It is not a man-made group which is energized completely by man's wisdom, designs, and activities. It is a living organism and not a physical organization. Paul described the church as the temple, the sanctuary. Or the dwelling place of God. For example, notice 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 16. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Do you remember back in the Old Testament? Where did the Spirit of God dwell with His people? It dwelled in the tabernacle and then later in the temple. 2 Kings chapter 19 and verse 15 describes this scene both in the tabernacle and in the temple that God, the Spirit of God dwelt between the cherub. And yet in the Christian age, according to Paul, God's Spirit dwells in His people. You are the church of the living God. You are the temple of God in which His Spirit dwells. As mentioned earlier, someone has said, you could say that the church is God's earthly residence. That sets the church different and apart from any other body or assembly that's ever been established on the face of the earth, doesn't it? That makes us the body of Christ special. 
That makes us special. And that makes us different. That sets us apart from every other assembly. Every other organization for the church is a living organism. And notice finally this morning, the church is an intimate relationship. But it's not just any relationship. This is a relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, Christ is the focus of this relationship. As members of the assembled body of Christ, redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, we enjoy, we have the opportunity to enjoy an intimate relationship with Jesus. You see, God has made the church His spiritual body. Turn in your Bibles, if you will, to the book of Ephesians chapter 5. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul describes this intimate relationship using probably the most intimate earthly relationship. But the Bible does that a lot. It takes earthly things, earthly analogies that we would understand, like when John tries to describe heaven to us in the book of Revelation. Uh, it's much greater than that. Uh, but he uses earthly things that we would know. And the same idea is here. We understand, at least we have in the past, that the relationship between the husband and wife, it's special, it's intimate, it's different from all other relationships. Paul describes it using the idea of the body and the head in Ephesians 5 and verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, and He is the Savior of the body. That's the idea. Christ is the head, we are the body. So we submit to Christ. But also notice further, beginning in verse 28, how then Paul uses that relationship we've been talking about, the relationship of husbands and wives, but particularly notice the intimacy between the husband and the wife, beginning in verse 28. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. The redeemed, the assembled together, the group of baptized believers, both locally and universally, the world abroad, enjoy an intimate relationship with Christ because Christ is the head and we are the body. And He loves us that way. So what is the church? What makes the church different. What makes the church different is that we are the spiritual body of Christ. 
set apart, called out to be different, to live different, to act different from the world. Not to necessarily look different, but to be different, to act different because we are the body of Christ. We live in relationship to the head. We wear His name. We are His spiritual body. And in all things, we honor Christ. When we do it right, and when we do it wrong because we make it right. The spiritual body is a living organism. Not an organization made by human hands. But a living organism established by God through Jesus Christ. And because of that, we enjoy an intimate relationship with Christ. I understand that this is typically not one of those moving lessons. But it is important for us to think about what the church really is. And what makes us different from all other assemblies in the world. And that's because we are the body of Christ. In the book of Acts, when Peter preached that sermon, those people realized they had condemned Jesus Christ to death. And they said, what must we do? What must we do to make this right? And and really not understanding at that time, but we can see later that when Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, be baptized for the forgiveness of sins, we understand that they were added to that spiritual body. And today we want you to understand, if you're not in that condition... We want you to be a part of the spiritual body of Christ. So does God. So does Christ. So does the Spirit of God that dwells in His people. Wants you to be a part of that body. You may be here today and you have a lot of burdens. We really didn't go into detail about it. But because we as the body of Christ enjoy that intimate relationship with Christ... Sometimes sin can get in the way of that, but yet, whether it's sin or whether it's burdens we're carrying, as a part of the body of Christ that meets here at Savannah, we are brothers and sisters. We are connected. And when one suffers, we all suffer. When one mourns, we all mourn. And we want you to know that we're here for you and we're ready to pray with you. We're ready to petition God on your behalf. If you need to respond to the Lord's invitation, as together we stand and sing.